Hello and welcome to the Phyllis Club, the show where we get people from around the world to comment on the news from the past month. This is episode number 26th for December 2009. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is the last show of the year, December 26th, 2009. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Yes, I said it. I said Christmas and a Happy Holiday if you don't celebrate Christmas. Uh, I am Patrick Beja, your host. And with me today are uh, three wonderful people that will help me comment on the news from the past month. Uh, one of those, of course, you know and love hopefully. Uh, Turkey from Saudi Arabia. How are you doing, Turkey? Hey, I'm doing great. And Merry Christmas to everybody, even though I don't celebrate Christmas. Oh, so, And yeah. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year also. That's very true. The second person that you also probably know, because he's basically uh, broadcasting shows every single minute of every day, Uh, Mr. Scott Johnson, how are you doing, Scott? I'm so good, Patrick. Thank you for having me here. Merry Christmas to everybody. I do, in fact, celebrate Christmas, but I think my celebration consists mostly of the the pagan variety. It's very uh, Santa and uh, crazy tree orna ornaments and all that kind of garbage. So you, I you, love Christmas. I love it, and I'm sad it's over. You don't even go to church? Oh, no, we do. Yeah, oh. I mean, we, we go. I'm just saying, the celebration for me... Is far more about the music of the of the season. It's far more about like, you know, gifts under the tree and uh, all that kind of goofiness and giving everybody pajamas on Christmas Eve and that sort of stuff. I'm all about those traditions. I love that stuff. Pajamas. Yeah, and getting all of all of his drawings framed and put up in the house. Yeah, wait, those are really cool. My wife did that. Pajamas. How crappy is Christmas at the John Johnson house? <laughs> every every year. Go. Every year on Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Eve, so the day before Christmas, Kim, my wife, breaks out these boxes and everybody gets a new pair of pajamas for the night. And wow. it's like this weird tradition. I don't even think we're the only ones that do it. I think it's actually kind of common. But um, yeah, I think so. I'm not 100% on that. It just feels <laughs> okay. like it should be. But uh, And then so the whole next day, we're just lounging around in these awesome new pajamas and giving gifts and hanging out and eating tons of food. I wish there was a morning after pill for food, by the way, because I am just free. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. And that person you're hearing laughing in the background is the very uh, shy Kerwin, uh, who's with us today again. Uh, he was there with us a few months ago, I think in September, was it, Kerwin? Probably. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Kerwin is from London, live from London. You're still yes. there. Good morning, all. Merry Christmas to everyone. Maligayang Pasco. Oh, uh, what was I that? I celebrated... That was Tagalog for all the Filipino listeners, of which I know there are many. <laughs> I've uh, I've been celebrating quietly with a couple of other orphans in London, three friends who all of our families are in other countries, and we haven't been able to go back to see them. And, oh, wait. Uh, most okay, people so like situational orphans, uh, not That's like right. actual orphans. You, you, I thought thank, we were going to try to make Thank God, that was going to feel really bad. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, I, I just like ate and opened presents and all that, and, and Kerwin yeah. went to spend his time with children, orphan children. Yeah, and, and then that day I was just enjoying a nice cigar. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so it was just 
like people who were from uh, other countries and didn't manage to leave for the holidays. That's right. That's okay. Right. Hey, I should be ma before we go on. I want the world to know I am not this vapid guy. You know, all I care about is give me gifts, give me my pajamas, and, and make me happy on Christmas. We spent uh, this year. I just I'm kind of proud of this. We spent a night at the uh, at a local homeless shelter and fed 350 homeless people, including women, children, and men. Uh, with food, my wife made all of it, so we made What? food for that many people. Yeah, it was crazy. You made food for That's 300 excellent. people? Yeah, and then we had me, uh, my kids came, and they helped serve and everything. My parents, my sister and her kids, my other sister and her kids uh, all showed up to help, and we, and we brought, um, let's see, I don't know how, how much it weighed, but there were the 14 giant laundry bins full of donated clothes and stuff that we got from neighbors and friends and from us. And Holy tamole. My uh, community donated $325 through an auction to purchase a whole bunch of sketchbooks and pencils and drawing materials for the kids there. And we had a little like art seminar for the kids and gave them all sketchbooks. And anyway, so there is wow. a little bit of the Christmas spirit happening there. It was only later that we had iPods and uh, shirts <laughs> and pajamas. So All right, anyway. Scott, I'm sorry, but now you're on my hit list. <laughs> made What? me feel so bad. You're going on my hit list for that. <laughs> You'll beat me with a cigar. I can't go. wait. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you. You are a wonderful person. But we already knew that. I was yeah. just, you know, I, I didn't do any of that crap. Yeah, and, I, and now I felt like I've tooted my own horn, which is even worse. So well, I'll just you, you, you have a little bit, but uh, it's you know I think it's worth doing when it's for that kind of thing because you do people uh, you do make other people feel appropriately bad for being selfish bastards. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So thank you all for being the bastards you are, and Merry Christmas. All right. You know what? On that note, I think we can start uh, the actual show because there's a few things that we want to get to. Um, I think the first one is going to be the climate conference uh, in Copenhagen, talking about selfish. And uh, then I want to do something else. Uh, probably have each one of you tell us about the most important or, you know, the, the story that you liked best in 2009 or not necessarily liked best. But maybe uh, wanted to highlight or made you laugh or whatever. One story that you would like to remember or that you think we should remember from 2009. And as Flubber Winter is saying in the chat room, hello to the chat room is in order. Of course, I absolutely did not forget that. I did not. And I will not have you let you uh, think that I did. The chat room is with us today, as usual. So, hi, everyone. Thanks you, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we have a few regulars over there, uh, including... I saw um, Stu a few minutes ago. I don't know if he's still here, but uh, I might be... Oh, there he is. Uh, if that's the right Stu, he's, uh, he's doing a very uh, cool podcast that I might very well be on at some point in the future. That's called Beer Diplomacy, and I really enjoyed it. So maybe you should go listen to it, too. Oh, yeah, I'm going on that, too, actually. Yeah, he, he sent me an email. He was like, oh, so I'm doing this, uh, this show, and um, I ha we've had these uh, guests, and uh, these confirmed guests for the future, and it was basically a list of every single person that did a podcast and that was important on the Internet. So I was like, holy crap, I have to be on that, too. 
Yeah, I, that'll I, be I good. Actually, I think I'm, <laughs> when are you going on? What, do, do you know when your day is you're going? I don't know. We're going to have to schedule it. Um, but I went to and, and actually listened and, and watched uh, the show before I said I was going to be on, and I really liked it. So it wasn't just about the people who were on. Oh, I wait, think wait. I'm going on with Veronica. Hubba hubba. Ooh. All right. No one cares about our uh, uh, scheduling <laughs> things. Uh, I just wanted to say hi to the chat room. And now let's move on to the actual stories. And the first one, I think the main one for this month, uh, the international stories, was uh, the climate conference in Copenhagen, obviously, which... Um, I think is was reported on pretty much everywhere in the same way, but let me give you uh, what I got out of it first. Um, it started off as, holy crap, we might actually get something done um, this time. It was, I think we talked about it last month, it was so much hope and uh, China is, is going there with sort of a... Um, a possibility of an agreement and uh, the US is uh, trying to get things done also uh, Obama wants to get things done even though you know Congress didn't give him all the um, uh, power that he wanted all the leeway that he wanted and it started off pretty well and then about midway through it completely collapsed uh, people were saying that it, nothing was going to happen, um, the, the uh, rich and poor countries weren't finding a, a point of agreement, mainly China and uh, the US were on this sort of uh, colliding path where they didn't want to give any leeway at all and, and, uh, and were blocking negotiations. And a, f a couple of days before the end of the summit, it was this is not going to give anything at all. So expectations were lowered to an incredible uh, extent. And in the end, in the last day or so, they r reached an agreement that was the m most, the smallest, most minimal possible thing they could do. And most importantly, that wasn't binding uh, legally. So it was like a, a, a good intentions uh, sort of uh, agreement which didn't do anything in effect. It, I'm not saying we thought it was completely useless, but it was super disappointing, and it was the m minimum that we could do. And I'm, I'm sure Turkey is going to say, but of course, you know, that's what, you know, what do you expect from these things? But we really went from... How did a you read my mind, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm beginning to know you, my friend. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, super disappointing because we did have serious hopes... Um, at the beginning of the summit and people were I wouldn't say super pissed off it's not like you were seeing people uh, talking about it every day in the street but people were disappointed we were we had a few conversation about like okay once again uh, it's it we should have expected it but we didn't and uh, that was a, 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 you know a letdown so that was me and France <laughs> <laughs> that was Patrick and friends. <laughs> o over to you, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Saudi Arabia says, "What did you expect of the <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Of uh, course, I'm serious. That's exactly what I was planning to say. He just read my mind. 
<laughs> but okay, that's you know I I know that you would you know have absolutely no hope in humanity because you're such a you have a dark soul, but. <laughs> uh, don't you think it could have been possible like at, at the beginning didn't didn't people think it might happen in the first few oh, days from the I first day i heard about it i thought it was a waste of time come on let's be honest we have the u.s we have china we have india these countries are have businesses they have economies if they go and adapt any policy to protect them to protect the environment they're going to lose millions and billions of dollars nobody's gonna work on this until they get on their feet everything established now the only country of the group that i blame for not signing or not being harsh and strong is the u.s because they had no excuse they just well they sometimes have an, they're just greedy they have an economy too yeah but it's not like an economy of uh, other countries unlike china and india their their countries are just growing so coming after the U europe and the us destroyed the environment with the industrial revolution and after they got everything set down they got their economies set they got ev everybody on the same level basically everything is ready they come and they expect from china and india who just started their industrial revolution to jump immediately and get to the position where the Europe and the U.S. is. So, yeah, so look, at, look, look at the timing, though. When you when the U.S. is going through its industrial revolution, we come from a time of nobody knows what climate change is. Nobody knows what the science is then. Nobody knows anything back then. All we know is, hey, trains are cool. Look at this coal. We can burn this, too. Make all this stuff. I mean, that's that was the, the mindset. Now the mindset is, well, we've, yeah, we're this far, and now we kind of know better. And now that we know better... All I think people are saying is that China, which is huge and is growing at a rate that is exponential, and India, which is huge and growing at an equally exponential rate, that these two countries should, while we have them at this stage, and now that we know what this does, this is the time to get them to, to kind of curb their whatever. Because they're, kill they're starting to kill us on these areas. Like, they're putting out more, you know, CO2 than we are at the moment. But I think and I'm not saying that that makes us that makes us clean in all this. I'm just saying I don't think we should let off these these countries and let them have their quote unquote developing nation status. Let you know, let them slide and not not be able to sort of take the responsibility for what they're putting out there because, dude, they are going to put it out hardcore. But Turkey, are you saying that um, in the U.S. Um, agreeing to these terms, to the you know being more ecological, would not? Uh, you know, would reduce the surplus of, of money that the U.S. is making, let's summarize a little bit, whereas in these developing countries, it could actually uh, stop or handicap their uh, industrialization. Is that the it's reason? Definitely, yeah. Okay. It definitely will handicap their industry because they're not ready. Just switching that entire industry they have in those countries to make them environmentally friendly is going to cost them billions, not billions, zillions of dollars. <laughs> so unless, is a unless there's a billions that are going to get an investment yeah. return. I'm sorry, Nobody's Kirby, we didn't hear you. I'm saying those are billions that are going to get an investment return. I think one of the reasons that businesses in Europe are particularly pushing for um, action on climate change is because they have learnt and they've understood or they've realised that the changes that are required to adapt to climate change are potentially extremely profitable business streams. Uh, 
and I don't think that the the Chinese business community has fully grasped that, and that's why they persist in a belief that climate change is necessarily, or adapting to climate change is necessarily deleterious to their economy. Well, is it? Yeah. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be true for the U.S. too? Then? No, I don't think it's true for the U.S. or Europe at the moment because their business communities have enough intellectual capital uh, to turn around and redesign their industrial systems. Um, so why, why aren't they agreeing to these terms then? If it would be you know a, a, an interesting return on investment in the end. Well, the interesting thing is that the European, especially the British papers, are not blaming the U.S. so much as they're blaming China. There was a comment, I'm not sure who who was the Dane that was leading a particular committee, but in one press conference given here, he was asked uh, who is to blame for taking out the the... the the goals that Europe was willing to sign up for. And they were saying that the Chinese were refusing to let even the Europeans sign up to a voluntary commitment. Because it would make them look bad afterwards? Uh, I'd say that's probably the only reason. Basically, he's, what his line was, was the Chinese don't want numbers. The Chinese don't want any specific goals stated that they have to be pegged to uh, well, for any country. Okay, okay. What well, I wait heard a minute. was that the runs, U.S. didn't want numbers these either. Who runs these governments? The Chinese or their own individuals? What do you mean? Well, he's saying the Chinese are the ones who are pushing... What does the Chinese effect? The Chinese have an effect on this if the, the Europeans should just sign it on their own? Why does they have the Chinese? And let's be honest: if the U.S. and Europe really wanted to push for all of these environmental uh, regulations, they could easily push it on China and India and these countries easily. Stop buying. Why easily? Why easily? No, stop, no, no, no. I think you're being their a little bit. And putting and put put limits on what you buy. What do you put mean? Rules? Stop buying the products. Everything comes from China. We <laughs> have to stop buying. Exactly. So so don't complain. You're the one who's supporting that environment problem yes, by buying all of those products that are made in this poor environment problem. So unless you're serious, if you're really serious, stop buying those products. Put some restrictions on the products. Make sure they're done in an environmental way. Only buy. The ones aren't done in an environmental way. Things get fixed. But when you keep on buying and buying and buying more and more and more, what do you expect? Do you seriously think Chinese are going to worry about the about the environment when they're earning millions and no, millions and I, even Turkey, slowing down? I don't. I don't think anyone expects the Chinese to, or anyone for that matter, to to individually go out and say, "Okay, I'm going to start doing it," and and no matter what everyone else does, I'm going to do it. Which is why, you know, no one expects that. Which is why it's very important that everyone agrees at the same time to do something in a conference like this. And it's why, you know, it's, it's so difficult. Because you can't have one person go and say, we're going to do it like this. And you were saying, what does it matter if China doesn't want Europe to, to um, agree to these terms? It does matter, of course. We have such important, you know, uh, import and export relationships with uh, China and other countries in, in Asia that we can't just decide to do whatever we want because if wait, they get wait, pissed, wait. Well, if uh, they get angry, Patrick, then... Patrick, you can get them angry, but if you don't buy from them, they get hurt as much as you get hurt. So it's, it's a balanced system. So to say that we don't want to get them angry, unless you're worried about them attacking you by using their largest army in the world that's another question if we're talking about economy you would get hurt they would get hurt it's a shared thing nobody gets hurt alone 
Yeah. Okay. You know? I, let me say. Let me say something real quick. This reminds me of the argument of the way to stop CO two gases or to stop the rate of of ozone depletion or whatever is everybody just stop driving cars. Everybody quit driving cars. Let's just all walk everywhere. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> what I'm saying is you are right. You are dead right. If we suddenly stop buying from China until they adhere to whatever standards are set, then that will force China to do it. No question about it. But in the meantime, the abruptness of such a plan will tear everybody a new butthole. <laughs> like everybody. Nobody wins yeah, in that scenario. Scott, that's not exactly. I know that. And I'm saying just suddenly stop. Start putting more restrictions with one product. Start with one product. Unless this product is made in this specific way, in this specific factory, then we'll buy it. This product's not allowed until it follows these restrictions. And slowly add another product, then another product, and slowly start converting. But to sit there and just... Keep on importing, keep on importing. Oh, we don't care what you do. Just give us the products. We just want the final product. You can just burn your lands as far as... Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying, Turkey, and I definitely agree. I mean, to an extent, it is even... It can even come down to, the, to individual responsibility. I mean, each one of us could decide not to buy this or that. Um, I don't think there is enough... A clear indication of how products are, are manufactured to make these kinds of decisions. But in principle, yes, I do agree. I just think that things don't work like that in the real world. Now, if we had like King Turkey who was ruling over, you know, the planet, then maybe things would move at a better rate. But unfortunately, Patrick, you never want okay. me to rule this planet. Trust me on this one. <laughs> I love the name, though, King Turkey. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that, would, that would be the day. But Turkey, when you were saying, um, you know, the, the the way you you expressed it, and you said that the U.S. and maybe even Europe was a little bit more to blame than um, than than the developing countries. Was that your opinion, or is it a more you know general general opinion in in uh, Saudi Arabia? Uh, I, I can't really say, but I would think most uh, Saudis would think the same thing. After all, we are also affected by the climate change when because and the environment and all of this carbon hanging because we have the largest oil export in the world. So sure. whatever, all of those regulations affect us. And, that's, and, and I would assume that many people here would think the same way. And let's be honest. But you guys don't want, don't really want to to get to us to get an accord, uh, an agreement, right? No, or we don't want an environmental agreement because that would just hurt us more. And and let's be honest, every study clearly says that whatever environment problems are we have what right is he now, gonna say now were the fault of the industrial revolution and after in Europe and the U.S. So they were already the problems were already there. Oh, okay. China it just came and just pushed it a little, but it was already there. It was already established. Oh, sure. But so the problem is blame, not... And, and blame China and India for something someone else did. And then no, but the problem, in Turkey, saying, the problem you know, is not... It's true, we did this, but you the... know what? Don't, don't push it. We want you to stop. We did it. We're sorry. What? Come on, guys. All right. The, the problem is not... Turkey, the problem is not where we are today. Where we are today is part of the problem. But the, the real issue is where we're going to be in, you know, 10 years if things, if things keep going that way. You want but, my um, personal opinion on this one? Uh, I years? guess. Hold on. Brace yourselves. Here we go. Yes. Go. Three, two, one. Turkey's opinion. 
We got six billion people. It's about time we got a disaster in this world to cut the population. Earth can't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so this wow. disaster, would it be man-made or some sort of alien invasion? Uh, it would be some kind of disaster. As far as I know, Mother Nature could just come back and take it. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, we've been railing on the U.S. a little bit. Scott, how did you guys... Did, did, was it even on your radar? For some reason, I'm always thinking that, you know, whatever happens in the world, the U.S. is not going to care if it doesn't involve, like, Justin Timberlake tearing off some bra or something. No, although that's always hot news. Uh, trust me. Um, if somebody's not getting beat with a golf club or uh, right. dying at 50 full of drugs, then we're not as interested. But no, I actually think it's... I think it's an overblown stereotype that nobody cares. I think plenty of people care, and I care, and I've watched. Yes, this you do. But closely. was it reported on a, in the the actual news? Oh yeah, yeah. There was all kinds of stuff. The the problem is we have we have a news ecosystem that is. Some would say is the diversity is good, but I would say it's really unbalanced right now. We have the mainstream stuff, which I would you know mainstream used to be the three major networks, you know CBS, NBC, and. Uh, ABC back in the day, and that's where you got your news. And now we have a, a you know a system where there's 500 channels, and a whole bunch of those are news. And we have these 24-hour news channels that are constantly. And I've mentioned this on this very show before. They're constantly trying to stuff these channels full of just crap. So anything is breaking, and anything is awesome, and anything is like something you got to talk about, even though it's all garbage, because they have 24 hours to fill. It's a ridiculous mm. requirement. So what ends up happening is everything gets overblown, and everything gets. Uh, things things that are sensationalistic bump ahead in line of things that maybe should be talked about but maybe aren't as exciting. And so it's I don't like the current news ecosystem when it comes to mainstream. Um, Scott, what are that, you talking about? Tiger Woods was big news. <laughs> no, it wasn't. We all wanted to know what was going on. <laughs> I mean, we all want to. Okay, look, if that happens, mention it. It's a story. It's fine. It's fine to talk about. But I just I. I hate Fox News, and I can't stand MSNBC, <laughs> and I think CNN is, is trying to straddle this weird middle place. So I get my news from the Internet, and I get it through other sources, and I just don't bother with these guys. But the problem is this Copenhagen thing was covered by everybody, but there is kind of a defeatist attitude about all of it. It's a little bit of a turkey attitude. No offense, but it's like people are sort of people are just sort of, well, what'd you expect? You know, of course there's nothing's gonna happen. Blah blah blah. There's too much of a, a gridlock in Congress. There's too many people that feel different ways. It's too you know, it's too polarizing of a topic. So nobody's gonna come to any conclusion. Obama's not been given any power in this case. And I where where I there, you want to know the one positive light I see from the from the coverage is a lot of the reporting over here is about Obama's reaction to the actual Copenhagen conference, which was to say this. He literally said this. He says, I quote, I think people are justified in being disappointed about the outcome in Copenhagen. Rather than see a complete collapse in Copenhagen uh, in which nothing at all got done and would have been a huge backward step, at least we kind of held our ground and there wasn't too much backsliding from where we were. It's not a positive reaction. It's not a happy, look what we did. Everything is awesome. It's a fairly sober, realistic look at it, and I see that as positive, positive stuff. I see it as I, I know there are a lot of people that disagree with me, but every time Obama just says something honest, that gives me hope in my country's ability to do something about this crap in the future. When I hear a bunch of freaking garbage coming out of the mouth of whatever politician it is, where I know it's just spin, 
that's when I get depressed and see doom in my future. But so don't you think it's a little bit of a spin to say, well, we didn't uh, do anything good, but we didn't do anything bad either, so woohoo. Well, it's a, you, you could argue that it's a little bit of a fence-sitting move, that it's not taking a stand, but... You know what? If there's no stand to take, like, like if there's no, no. What I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Scott. What I mean is, he's, he's saying we didn't screw it up, and that's a good thing, basically. Which you know might look like a sort of a spin because it's not. You know, you couldn't really do anything worse than that. You did the minimum. So no, that's true. We did the minimum, and I say he, you but, when you know. I mean the the no, no, no. no I, I know what you mean. But when he says things like, "I think the people are justified in being disappointed about the outcome of this thing," right? That that gives me hope. It sounds negative. It sounds defeatist. It sounds like we didn't get anywhere, and it's true we didn't. But that to me is a step in the right direction. Instead of this fog that we were in for the last eight years of phony baloney, everybody making up stuff and standing their ground on issues they know were either morally or or even politically wrong but mm. didn't want to do anything you know wanted to save face there's one thing we do in this country we're always making fun of the asians for having a safe face all the time everybody's got a safe face dude i have i have three korean siblings two of which came here one of which came here when he was 11 and it's constantly saving face it is a cultural thing in asia i understand that but we do it all the freaking time and all we did in, last, in the bush years was save face constantly we could never just say something because it was true or say something because it made you know we may, it may make us look bad or look like we made a mistake when did that become a this is a larger issue but when did it become a bad thing to admit when you were wrong it is a human trait it is a chance to make right it is something that i think is part of a good character and the fact that we as a nation have a hard time doing that and this yeah. feeds into what turkey was saying bugs the poo out of me we should be able to stand up and go look we are hugely responsible for the initial impact with our industrial revolution, but we also have a major, major role in the fact that these countries that we're pointing fingers at are making all our stuff. It's our companies telling them to make our stuff. So we have a, we have a responsibility, not just for what we're outputting in our cars and in our coal plants and everything else, but we have a huge responsibility in what chunks of the industrialized world or the developing world are putting out because we are behind a lot of that. And I, you, I just want us to say, we, understand, we know that this is true about us, but we don't know exactly what to do yet, and here are the things we're going to do to work on it. That would have been a better outcome for me. So uh, it seems like, yeah, taking responsibility or at least, you know, admitting, admitting that there is a problem, I, I would agree. It doesn't seem like the U.S. has been doing that a lot in the past eight years. But um, you feel that that's something that's coming back? Because sitting from here, I guess, you know, Obama does say a few things every once in a while that do seem uh, a little bit more, you know, in tune with reality, let's say. But is that a general trend or just Obama trying to be a grown-up and, and, and everyone else still, you know, arguing around and being idiots? Well, I hope it's a trend and I hope it's a leadership trend where people see this and, and start to change the culture of our politics because that's, that's where the, the problem lies. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys were listening, but Bush started a war in 2000. When did we go in there? Two, three, whatever it was. Whenever we went to Iraq, I'm not talking about Afghanistan. He went in there with all these pretenses of uh, weapons and all this other stuff. And I know this is all old hat news, but I don't remember the apology or the explanation for when they didn't find it. I don't remember any of that. All I got instead was, well, it's a good thing we did anyway because we deposed a terrible man. We're freaking awesome and awesome is good and we don't need none of your crap. <laughs> 
we we didn't ever say oh you know we had bad intel so, we didn't so, do this so or whatever so is this that, is this is a good thing but i don't know that the rest of the country as a political machine is going to follow suit I, probably not there's too much polarization here okay. and, I, so and people listening that, to the show are going oh my gosh scott is a hardcore democrat i am nothing of the sort dude i'm about as fiscally conservative as you can get i'm fairly socially liberal but when things c get right down to it i am looking for character and strength of 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 uh of mind and, and 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 intelligent people making intelligent decisions and making the best ones they can even if they make mistakes that's what i want in my leadership i don't care what damn party you belong to so you're saying that there is a different approach to the issue that there was uh maybe with the war in iraq specifically or yeah yeah i do i okay. feel like this was when when we would have these you know kinds of conferences during the bush years <clears throat> i'm not just picking on bush there have been other presidents with issues but this is you know these were my formative adult years during the bush presidency where my eyes were really open to the you know the politics of the world um <clears throat> so it affected me a lot but they you know they that that was a that was a time of whenever something like this would happen we would take we would pick a line and we would just stick to it no matter how stupid we looked sticking to it and it, and it was somehow supposed to give us strength and move immovability and that was supposed to be we would we would supposedly appear like leaders to the world because we wouldn't waffle on anything yeah And I would okay. say well, we look like leaders when we I, wa when we waffle on the things we're wrong about. That's all. I think yeah, it, you've made your uh, your uh, approach to it pretty clear. But I'm wondering if again, if that's something that was felt in the um, in the in in the news, or if that's just the way you took it specifically, just you know to make it clear. Yeah, it, it, yeah was there a different approach approach to it in the news also, or was it you know? Still. I think the approach. I think the approach has been fairly sensationalistic. They go for the big Still. stuff, like like the, some African nation walked out or something. I don't remember okay. what it was, and they and they really focus on that stuff. It's like, oh, okay. they walked out of the thing. It's always the you know, it's always the big crazy stuff for falling apart news that gets all the attention. And if it's quiet, somber. Um, what about the, the the finger pointing? Was it uh, you know I, I, we've made it pretty clear that we you know design we did uh, point. Some people, I mean, Kerwin said that uh, uh, China was... Uh, Europe is pointing the finger at China. Right. I, I feel like, I mean, in, in France at least, uh, the U.S. were also culpable in our eyes. I'm not saying mine, but, you know... Um, from well, the U.S. will always be culpable in everyone's eyes because we have... Well, especially we have in the franchise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we will. But, um, and, and that's you know, it's fine. Not, it's not that... That's okay. It, I'm just just to make things clear, it's not that super vindictive, like, oh, my God, look what they did. It's just, okay, so the negotiations were, you know, uh, uh, stalling because these groups, this group and this group didn't really want to give in to what other the other groups wanted. It's not like it's their fault. They're horrible people. It's like they had demands that couldn't be met uh, with a little, uh, you know, a, a tint of disappointment, of course, but it, it wasn't super vindictive just to make things clear. Okay, um, fair enough. So, somebody in the chat room, by the way, mentioned that the the uh, founder of the Weather Channel has now come out against global warming. Okay. Uh, all right. I just want to say just briefly, <laughs> this is one of my problems with the mindset in, and I can't speak for other countries because I don't live in them, but <laughs> one of the mindsets in our country is that we we apply false credentials to people so that when they make statements that that somehow makes them more valid so somebody who owns the weather channel says that he doesn't believe in global warming 
should somehow make me change my mind on anything makes me want to vomit blood. I can't stand <laughs> that. So all I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, it, it, for me, it's like any of these. Uh, just to give fair play to the other side of this, if somebody like what's uh, who played Spicoli in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I never can think of his name. Help I me, don't help even me, help me. Who you're Famous about. actor. He married Madonna for a while. Oh crap! Oh Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Thank you, Sean Penn. Real hard name to remember. Anyway, Sean Penn. When he flies to some African country and then spends all day on the news talking about the woes and the and the terrors and the awfulness of whatever the crap he's supporting, I don't give a rat's ass that he's an actor. I don't care. That is not your credentials to tell me anything. It's the, I have the same problem with any of that. I just wanted to get that out there. So no offense, chat room, and no offense to anybody else who does this. <laughs> but if you're an actor or you own the Weather Channel or I don't care what you do, I don't care. What you think any more than I care what my neighbor thinks. I care more what my neighbor thinks because he's facing the world without, you know, $60 million in the bank. He understands what it means to fight for whatever he needs. I just want to get that out there. That is a, that is a core tentpole freaking All right. foundational element to my, my political life right there. Got to. All right, go ahead. So, yeah, that so finger Scott's pointing. What did you expect? What? <laughs> that is Scott's what did you expect. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so to, to conclude on, on this uh, finger pointing, was there any of that? Was it the Chinese fault or from the US? His perspective on the US? Oh, you mean over here? Yeah. Did people think it was the Chinese fault? There's well, a lot of talk about China gumming up the works, yes. That, that does seem to be, especially if you're talking about conservative news reporting, kind of the, from the Republican standpoint, they, they totally blame the Chinese. Um, even though most of them think global warming is crap anyway. So I, 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 it's weird that they'll blame the Chinese. You know, they'll blame the Chinese, but they'll not really think that the thing's a problem in the first place. It's just okay. a lot of political wrangling. It's the same idea as, like, we don't want government in our personal lives, except if I'm gay, then I want to be in your... You know what I mean? Like, there's, <laughs> yeah. a lot of sort of, there's a lot of double standards that way, and I, this feels like one of those to me. So, okay, so I think we can all agree that the Chinese are wholly responsible for, for this mess. Although I, I do want to give uh, the talking stick to Kerwin a little bit because he's been very quiet in the corner there. And before we move on, uh, is there anything else you want to add to the conversation, Kerwin? Yeah, there's quite a large part, which is that uh, all of the media, especially in these wealthier countries, has played this as a western block v china and india game and there's a whole third party that is missed out in uh, a lot of the debates which is the countries that aren't wealthy and aren't even developing at all uh, these are the countries in africa and uh, south and southeast asia uh, essentially in some ways if the temperature skyrockets to four or five degrees celsius average higher than what it is now then uh western countries will find a way to cope china and india will probably find a way to cope by and large but uh most of the poorest countries are going to have their food sources collapse their water supplies collapse um and then a lot of their own habitats collapsing as well there's some 650 million people currently who live within a few meters of the of the sea line what's called the low coastal elevation zone 
350 million or so of these are people who live in large cities, what they call the super deltas of Africa and Asia, places like uh, Cairo, Alexandria, Lagos, Bangladesh, Dhaka. Dhaka is kind of the ground zero of climate change because the... The coastline, well, they're kind of hit by two fronts. The coastline is constantly rising and so much of the country is at or below or only just above sea level anyway. But they're also suffering because the Himalayan glaciers are melting and that's producing uh, huge riparian flooding every year. And one of the big issues that they're going to have is that as the country is, is slowly being flooded, there's internal migration, but there's also external migration. There's um, hundreds of thousands of people slowly trying to filter into places like Calcutta, which is across the Indian border. So it becomes a, an international problem because it's a cross-border problem. Um, and for me, while... Europe and America and China bicker about who gets to produce the most CO2. Uh, this is the one side of the world that is, is very much forgotten. And I think it's the one part where climate change really matters. I, I don't think it... I, I think it'll be... I think it'll be a disastrous, um, in historical terms, if climate change pushes the average temperature is up five degrees, but I think we're in a position where we'll cope, we'll just restructure our lives. Uh, and these are millions of people who really don't have any options for them. I don't know how you all feel about these or whether there is any significant reporting uh, about um, these places of the world from where you guys are. I feel like um, we are a bunch of kids talking about things and an <laughs> adult just walked into the room. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you know where we do hear about this stuff? We hear about this stuff uh, primarily online. Like, I see these sorts of things in documentaries. I see it in TED Talks. I see it in other places. But it's not being... This kind of stuff, the slow eroding of things, you know, significant That's geological right. well, stuff does not get reported in the mainstream press. It just doesn't. Yeah. I, I mean, even in, in here in, in, uh, in France, I don't think... We, know, we might hear a little bit about something like quirky and super sad like the isle of tuvalu which is going to be uh you know flooded completely disappear from the map if the temperature raises that many degrees but it's sort of a you know offhand report on that lasts 30 seconds and that yeah. says the representatives from that you know uh, country was were there and they were kind of an unhappy about being blown out of existence <laughs> there but was a we, tense we, moment that was There was we a did, tense moment uh, sorry, was just, just to, fin sorry, to finish okay. off, um, we really don't get the actual thing that it's about, which is what you talked about, which is we will cope and we might lose money or, you know, whatever. But some populations are not going to be able to do anything about it. And this is the real tragedy of this whole thing. And it's very often forgotten. Sorry, keep going, Kerwin. Um, I was just going to say there was one tense moment that was reported in the climate change conference where the president of Maldives, which is an archipelago off the south of India, uh, when there was a conversation between him and the Chinese delegates and he looked at the Chinese delegates and said, do you want my country to go extinct? And uh, the Chinese were incredibly 
offended or they, they had to save face because this was a direct attack on their face, I guess you say. Uh, but and they needed to backpedal, but that was the that was the that was the level of uh, severity that the delegates from Maldives and, and Tuvalu and Nauru. That's the argument they're making. They're arguing for the survival of their entire country. Um, it, Australia talks about this a little bit more uh, because they have uh, two dozen Pacific Island nations off their coasts who will all partly be looking for a piece of Australia when their when their countries are flooded. Mm. Uh, and this is even this is even used to political effect by Australian leaders that they uh, the, the Pacific Islands get the highest rate of aid per capita uh, in the world, and th- there are things, for example, like uh, when we had a problem with illegal immigrants or what the right wing government called illegal immigrants, we had something called the Pacific Solution where. The small countries, especially Nauru, agree to process our refugees so that the detention centres are not on Australian soil, preventing these the refugees from claiming refugee status, etc. And then the Nauruan government will receive favourable treatment in our in our foreign aid policies, things like that. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. All right, I'll, we'll we'll move on to some more kitty <laughs> stuff. <laughs> no, but it's 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 very important that you would um, put this perspective on it because, yeah, as we said, it it is the knot of the issue. Um, yeah. Okay. I. I By the way, I appreciate I, the I appreciate the rational approach to things, and this is something I feel like this this argument or this not this argument, but this topic as a whole, not just I don't mean on on this show. I mean as it's approached everywhere, needs a dose of rational. Yeah. thinking rational thought and smart sort of realistic conversation and not reactionary oh my gosh we're going to die or oh my gosh we're never going to die uh, well see we the need- problem is for for these people uh it is oh my gosh we're going to die not you know literally die but they're going to disappear yeah no right. no i understand yeah, that but uh, we wouldn't be to this point nor would we be I guess what i guess the problem is i don't want to wait until the powers that can affect change in these ways we shouldn't be waiting until it's that dire. Well, this this maybe, sounds sounds obvious, but yeah, sure. But maybe we should uh, we should, as Turkey was saying, that we should uh, just buy different stuff. You know, buy stuff that is car- carbon neutral, and maybe make we should have labels. Let's make more labels on products, carbon neutral, yeah. and you can buy that. And it's going it to. Se- it seems to me that if more. China really wants to be uh, recognized as awesome. They should do this very thing. They should they should push their factories hey, that, and their manufacturers for, to do that. That works for the U.S. and basically Europe too. It it could be you know. Well, what I mean anyway, is China right. could still be the player and the major provider of these products. They just start to adhere to these things voluntarily. Uh, then we're then we're it costs, encouraged. It costs but look, a lot, and more they'll to capture the market. Yeah. Well, of course, maybe. but that's the point. Do capture the market because if there are yeah. going to be enough people, and there are enough people to make that profitable out there in the world that will rather that would rather buy carbon neutral products or whatever it may be from China, then China wins, and so do we, and so does the world, and that that's a decent that's a decent long term solution is to you know slowly try to wean people off of crap and move them to something a little better, and then if you, if you start making nothing that nothing but things that are better, and the expectation is that they're better in all these ways, they'll get cheaper. 
and we get rainbows and unicorns. Okay, um, <laughs> let's move on to the second part of the show, uh, which is the stories of 2009. Uh, I would like each one of us, as I said in the intro, to come up with one story that they want to either remember or bring attention to or, you know, make the story of 2009 for them. Let's start with Mr. Turkey from Saudi Arabia. Uh, just, uh, okay, let first let's now. wake up Turkey from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> no, we, actually, that's what we call was, our was, dinner. Was, Every Thanksgiving dinner, we call actually. our dinner Mr. He's, Turkey. He's Everything. smoking already. <laughs> no, I'm having dinner. I just I'm, I just finished dinner. Oh, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm bothering you, sir. <laughs> so the, so the new story uh, of 2009, Turkey. What did uh, Turkey have for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> All right, go uh, ahead. Don't do, do, do you want do you want us to come back to you later? No, actually, there's only one story that jumps to my head, and it's local story. Okay, which is really? basically the yeah, it's uh, for us, it's a huge step in this country, which is basically the inauguration and the opening of the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology. Right, which you that's, did uh, talk about quite quite a bit on the show. Yeah, that that's considered a huge. Uh, uh, thing here. Uh, it's the first university in the country where uh, sexes are allowed to mingle together. And you mean people basic... of different sexes? Yes. I'm sorry, that was a, of an easy sexes. joke. <laughs> <laughs> they are allowed to mingle together. They're uh, equal in their education and everything. Uh, we have some of the highest, uh, b biggest professors around the world were hired with very high degrees. We have uh, some of the biggest and best uh, research centers established in that university, and its target is to compete with universities such, such as Berkeley, MIT, and so on. So, is it, uh, I remember it, it opened, when was it? In uh, June, July? In September. September, wow, okay, that yeah. wasn't so long ago. Um, how has it been um, evolving since then? Is it you know did did people still talk about it? Did did people come out uh, in you know opposition of it, or did people uh, did everyone yeah, accept yeah. it in the end? No, no, it was a big big deal. People were talking about it in different aspects. No, but I mean, religious since until uh, since <clears throat> then until now. Uh, since then until now, uh, officially and in public. People are more accepting of, of it, especially since many of the uh, re religious authorities have come out to support it in its own way. So, was the king? Did the king have to um, bang a few heads together to, you know, get people in line? Or, oh, definitely he did. There's no question about that. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the intellectual head of the university? Who's the one that'll be driving its whole research agenda? Uh, it's, I don't remember. He's some. Uh, he's a professor, a Singaporean professor. Okay. Really? That could be yeah. interesting. He's. He, there's good. You mean there's very not... good research in Singapore. No, not no. He's not Saudi. He's from Singapore. Oh. Okay. Uh, he established. I think he established one of the biggest uh, science and technology universities in Singapore. One, an international one, and he was hired to run this one. Okay. That's a cool. pretty good sign. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's just really a good sign. So uh, everybody's looking uh, forward to it to see how it goes. 
All right, people in the chat room are telling me to not eat and talk, so I'm going to stop. Um, <laughs> oh, I kind of like it. <laughs> um, Kerwin, what about you? Biggest news story. Uh, I think it's probably been the... This might take away from Scott, but I think the health debate in the US and how US politics and its media has evolved in response to Obama has probably been the biggest thing to to watch to have watched over the last few months really uh, you, i you think, think so yeah it's been it's been a circus man just been bananas uh, everything from but you know wait, a lady wait, scott, just saying just oh, saying I'm, so, I'm sorry I, I just want to because once you're gone scott you don't stop so i want to make sure kerwin uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i think one of the reasons that i the one of the reasons it's important uh is what it's the picture of the U.S. psyche that it's given to the rest of the world. We've been able to watch the U.S. psyche uh, maybe, say, evolve rapidly, or you've been able to see the landscape change rapidly, uh, or maybe you've seen that the the landscape has ossified uh, beyond repair under the Bush years. But the it, there's perhaps some proof for this in the fact that he was given the Nobel Peace Prize um, so the, the world is looking at him and uh, looking for him to change not only his country, but, uh, but its relations with the rest of the world. Uh, and I think the, the health debate uh, has been key because what drives America's relationship with the rest of the world is always its domestic policies. And being able to see how that operates in detail has been very important for everyone else. But you feel like things have been evolving in the right direction in that respect? I, I don't... I mean, I'll go to Scott in a second to, to get his uh, actual uh, know, knowing advice, for, uh, you know, what, impression what of it. Do, what do I think? I think it's... Uh, I think that uh, definitely the media sensationalism is something that's evolving in the wrong direction. Uh, but... The concrete changes, I mean, the, the concrete changes in policy approved by the U.S. Senate in the last couple of days, are there not? And the, those are always concrete changes on, on the U.S. health structure that there was before. Okay. So I, I think it's remarkable for anyone to make any dent in the way the U.S. health industry is structured. Uh, and it'll have to be an iterative process. It's definitely something you would have to come back and there'll have to be another one of these periods uh, in Obama's second term or perhaps towards the end of his first term if he has the stamina. But this is something that's going to take a number of legislative cuts and a number of national debates to be resolved. Okay. Um, Scott? What's your impression on this? I agree 100% with what he just said. Um, I think the, 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 one negative, the one negative outgrowth of this was to watch the media. Uh, something in our country that we've prized since the country's inception, which is a free press and the ability for, for us to, in a sense, regulate ourselves by reporting in a fair and open way about whatever goes on anywhere. And to see that polarization um, where... where press outlets were specifically geared or motivated to argue one side of this or the other made me, you know, really sad. Um, 
And well, to watch that fight play out was really, really obnoxious. That's what I was saying, though. Kerwin is saying, you know, the way the healthcare debate has taken place in the U.S., including in the media, has been, you know, transformed over the way, you know, compared to the way uh, things were going in the Bush years. And, you know, maybe the war or um, it, it, the, the way the debate was occurring. And I was feeling that... Sadly, the uh, healthcare debate wasn't evolving in the right way. It was very polarized, very uh, partisan. So, but I but I agree with him in this sense that 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 it's, this is like a you know when guys in a movie they break their leg or gets pulled out of socket and somebody says all right this is going to hurt and they have to put it back in while they're laying there. I feel like that's what we're going through a little bit. We're going through something that's going to be painful. It's going to hurt to do it. It's going to make people mad. It's going to make people wonder if it was worth it. There's going to be a lot of that before we get any serious ground made up. But I think that it is a necessary pain and will lead. If the right people are seeing it as necessary, it will eventually lead to some kind of resolution in this way. Okay. And, and yeah, I, I just, I feel like opening it up. Yeah, they're, they're, the media is just very disappointing in this. Um, and maybe that's a good thing because maybe eventually we'll get back to the this idea that the press is to report on things, not side with things. Hmm. Um, and I don't um, know when we'll get. But. Just to uh, a quick update about the healthcare debate. From what I understand, the public option was left out, um, and there, I didn't do something is up. I didn't see. I don't understand what the essence of the health care bill that's being passed is. I don't see how it makes a, a lot. I'm sure there are uh, parts of it that make a difference, but I don't see which parts. Uh, any one of you knows what's going to change in the U.S. after this health care bill passes? Well, I would argue it probably isn't going to pass. Um Really? The, the, it's, it's a big jumbled ball of smelly goo right now. There are some pieces well, this, in it that could lead to good things, but it's kind of The Senate bill up. passed, right? The Senate. Oh yeah, yeah, what, it did. What I read in the last. But I don't. It's not going to make. Senate, it's, I guarantee you. Okay. Well, they they, they voted it in the Congress. They voted it in the Senate. Now they have to reconcile the two bills. Uh, they have to to reconcile the two bills into one final bill. Yeah, and that's right? going to be and a nightmare. And, and that's where you get held up. I'm not okay. sure. Okay, I thought I thought he he sort of as uh, Lou uh, is saying in the chat room. It, I think it did pass like a couple of days ago in the middle of Christmas, and it was reported on in France as Obama got his Christmas present because it did oh. pass. Well, and this may be me catching up a little because okay. I've been out because you were out busy of the feeding days. the homeless. <laughs> yeah, I was busy doing. Way to go, Scott! <laughs> doing some work at the on the front line, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, maybe more has right. happened than I thought had happened, and if that's true, that's 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 a positive yeah, thing. Yeah, but I I still don't see you know. I don't see how it's going to change. Maybe it's, uh, as Stu is saying, it's forcing people to buy into insurance, even if it is, uh, you know, you're going to have to have insurance no matter what or something like well, that. Well, it's, oh. it's like he said, it's, 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 a, it's incremental. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a piece, yeah. a piece of, a, of right. a longer term pie. And I think that any of that is, is a good thing. You know, I don't, people, you know, the, in the press anyway, Here's here's the problem. The press is more influential than I used to think. I used to think anybody smart enough to kind of hear some some rhetoric and go, okay, well that was just a bunch of blah. So why are we even listening to this? And then the very next minute, you find out it hits really close to home. I remember hearing, you know, on the news that this bill included on page four hundred and something a uh, you know the the now famous 
proposition that old people would have death squads. And I remember thinking, okay, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Why are we even talking about this? Why is this even a topic? And then no, not maybe a few days later, I found out my mother-in-law believes that very thing. That that is in there, that she is being targeted, that one day when she's old enough that she'll be on, she'll have her own death panel. And I, I looked at her in the face and just said, you really believe this? And she says, not, no one could tell me otherwise. I'm like, all right, I don't know why you think this is true or, you know, I, there's no evidentiary proof of anything. I don't know what you're talking about. So that okay. really, really depressed me. And I know that people listen to, to their, their talking box and I know that they believe what it says. And I would only ask people of Earth, stand back, step back a little bit, and let's think rationally about this. But anyway, I, I agree. I, def I defer to the man from, uh, from London. I think that this is, this is po positive growth, whether it hurts or not. And it does hurt, but it's positive in the right direction. All right. Um, well, let, uh, since you've, uh, you, you feel like talking, keep going and tell us what your uh, favorite, most important story of 2009 is. Oh, man, I'm such a blabbermouth on your show today. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, That's why you're I, here. I, uh, mine's a quick one, so I'll, I'll do a quick one. And it's, I kind of went with the lighter side of things uh, because I knew the others would be kind of a... Downers? Of <laughs> yeah. I thought turkeys, uh, turkeys is very positive. I thought his was going to be all yeah. like... I like the part when the whole world caved in on itself. That was a good story. <laughs> uh, I, uh, for me, it's the the ridiculous to the point of of comedy hypocrisy that the Michael Jackson's death story presented us here in the U.S. Um, it was yes. easily the most talked about, the most visible news story of the year on this side of the world. And as obsessed as we are with celebrity, it was no no surprise. However. What really got to me was some of the same talking heads, the same anchors, the same news people that I was listening to, you know, listening, say, Michael Jackson, a, a legend in music, a man of so much talent, died today, blah, 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 were the same guys five, six years ago going, we're going to air a picture of the pedophile's penis right here on the network. <laughs> we, <laughs> we think he's a freak. He's a total freak. He lives with monkeys. Uh, we hate his guts. What a weirdo. How far he's fallen from the tree. This, this is the most ridiculous display of hip hypocritical reporting I've ever seen in my life. At the very least, I would have liked him to say, uh, you know, the pedophile died or... I always liked Michael Jackson, and I thought everybody else was a jerk, and he died. Or something. Just be honest with yourselves, and don't feed us this line of, like, oh, this is an amazing day. That, you know, a, a generation is, is seeing a, a, an icon pass, and blah, But it's blah. true, though. I mean, <laughs> in, in he, Michael Jackson was an icon of the 80s, and then he devolved into a alleged pedophile that was a spectacle and you can't you know ask people to not treat him as the spectacle that he became because he was an icon in the 80s uh, it it's like it's two different periods of his life and the both of them are true it's not because yeah. you you t that, that discuss may be. the that may be but it's so it's such a separated relationship it's like me and you patrick it's like me going oh patrick you're awesome Patrick, you're a douche, 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 you're a douche. Oh, Patrick died. I loved Patrick. He was my favorite douche. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't seem that it just doesn't feel humane. I mean, we we treated him like crap. And we hmm. made him probably into what he became, which was a completely medicated human being, shielding himself from the ridicule of the world. 
He makes his own choices. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I but don't think we really made him do what. what no, we didn't by, make him do by anything. By we, I mean you, Americans, because right. I, but I it's gonna. I, but but to say that you've got a mob of people at your door throwing bananas at your windows all night is not going to bother you is also a little naive. So I would I would just say that it I, I get it comes off as disingenuous. I don't think any of those people feel bad that he died. I just think those people okay. are happy to have some damn news to talk about and it just drives me crazy. <laughs> right. No, it does make I sense. Did, I, I see what you mean. I was going to say I did think we had to uh mention Michael Jackson in the show. One of the reasons I thought it was one of the really big stories was also uh it was a massive popular event, apart from the media coverage, the the Twitterverse and Facebook and all my little cousins in the Philippines and my girlfriend's friends in South Africa. It's just the it was a worldwide conversation even if it was about something that doesn't matter in the long term the, the fact that there was this worldwide conversation it it proved uh the um the benefit or the, the it, it showed how the the world's conversations had changed how web 2.0 technology has changed the way people interact uh, um i think that was one of the big aspects of the story Oh, and, I, and there was much less hypocrisy, I feel, uh, from some of those quarters of people. Uh, I think he's treated, um, he was always treated much better in some of the some of the other larger developing countries like Turkey and Mexico and uh, places like that where people just really still genuinely loved him and uh, didn't follow much of the pedophilia and things like that. And they... They just really were sincerely crushed when he passed away. Well, I'm sure there were people who were also completely crushed in the U.S. I mean, to not to, you know, oh, I yeah. don't want to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, yeah, no, um, I guarantee it was a big deal for a lot of people. Just, yeah. I don't know, just seemed like a big nightmare. I, um, I, it's very interesting that you would talk about this, Kerwin, because my big story of the year is actually the uh, events in Iran. Not only because they were incredibly mm. important, you know, for Iran and for the world as, as uh, a world, uh, a news event, but also because of, obviously, the whole uh, Twitter thing. And by Twitter, I mean social media and yeah. how, you know, they were reported on and especially discussed upon in these... Uh, uh, circles. I think a lot of people who... There was a, a big argument about do these green avatars matter and does that change anything? And uh, I, I guess maybe uh, listeners of this show might remember what Neda said when she came on the show in uh, back in June. Uh, she said, yes, it does matter, absolutely, because it, it, even the fact of showing support is important to the people who are there on the ground uh, fighting and, and uh, trying to get their voices heard. And I think a lot of people have heard about all this uh, and other issues in general. I'm not sure it's just about Iran, but that was a very prominent uh, part of it. But we do hear about these issues where we would probably... Maybe not we, but some people would never have heard about this otherwise. You know, when a, a bunch of people like, I don't know, I, I don't know that they specifically talked about it, but uh, maybe people like Veronica Belmont or you, Scott, or, you know, mentioned that in their Twitter feeds or other social media outlets, 
it does reach people and at least i don't know that it helps but at least it makes people aware of things so for me this uh iran uh semi-revolution kind of uh was important in two ways the first one was the fact that it even happened and the fact that you know people in iran voiced their uh opinion and uh, discontent about uh what was happening in the electoral process which was absolutely major in my, my in my opinion for you know this year and also the uh turn it took in um in social media in general which affects us because most of the people who are listening are involved in this uh you know, internet thing that apparently is catching on. So that was my story. And a good one it was. Thank you. Wow. No discussion at all. Never mind. No, no pedophiles. <laughs> no. Uh... <laughs> okay. Well, I guess my story was a little bit more boring than yours, but fine. We can end the show now. That's perfect. It wasn't exciting. Yeah, it wasn't. But it was important. Um, all right. Let's uh, round it up with uh, a few local uh, stories where we can uh, have a little bit of fun with what happened uh, in our own countries. And again, since Turkey has been a little bit quiet, I guess he was eating dessert. Uh, let's go to him. No, I don't, I don't eat dessert. So. Oh, you don't? You should. No. They're usually very good. Um <laughs> Uh, All right, George. Turkey, your local story. What happened in Saudi well, Arabia? Well, I have three short, very short stories. So, All right. first one is uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia has been out of the country for almost a year uh, for uh, medical reasons, and he just came back about a couple of weeks ago. So, everybody's celebrating around here for his return. Woohoo! Why didn't he get uh, treated in Saudi Arabia? I would think he would have the money to get the hospital flown in. Uh, yeah, he could, but <laughs> it would it would have been very difficult for him to be treated when everybody's dropping by to check on him. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <clears throat> uh, Where was he so being second, treated? Uh, he was treated, I think, in some place in Europe. Uh, in uh, U.S. and Morocco. Sedar Sinai in the U.S. Haha, <laughs> that was funny. Because, you know. <laughs> all, all at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So the other two news are basically about women in Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's a woman who started an uh, entrepreneur who got uh, a small loan from an entrepreneur uh, system and she was able to start a business and she won the first prize for the best uh, entrepreneur, female entrepreneur project in the world. Really? Yeah. What, what is that, uh, that prize given by? Uh, who is that prize uh, awarded by? Uh, I don't remember. It's, it's a Prince Charles organization for entrepreneurs or something. Okay. I really don't wow. so remember. How did that go over? <laughs> uh, it depends. It's, it went over very good. Uh, people were very uh, proud of her, and uh, it was covered uh, on in the newspapers. Uh, and uh, there was a huge push to vote for her also. To win this prize, so. But she she works been, out of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, she started. Uh, now I need to remember it in English. So she started a project in the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia, which was about uh, 
helping uh, uh, artistic children. Autistic? Yeah. Okay. So that was her project. Okay. And apparently she won the prize and it was a big deal. And, and no one spoke out against it? I'm I'm just trying to make sure I understand it completely. No one spoke uh, out against it? No, she she did something. She started... First her pictures were coming out with her face uncovered and immediately after that she asked that nobody publish those pictures and all her pictures were, uh, were her face covered. So she avoided all of that. Okay, but even the fact that she's a woman working and, you know, uh, being uh, active and all that, it wasn't... A well, actually, in that specific project, uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was a woman working with children. Oh, okay. Children, so nobody really made a big deal out of it. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that was one, uh, the second news. And uh, the third news is that we have a very famous uh, female doctor uh, who works in cancer research and she did some very great discoveries in cancer and she was just awarded the highest award by the king so uh, which is which the king usually of doesn't the, go to women or i i don't believe it's been to, gone to women ever before uh, as far as i know i could be wrong but it's a huge, huge, big deal at the moment that a woman actually won this prize. It's the highest prize any Saudi national could win from the king. So, Excellent. So, uh, so do, do you feel like, also what you were talking about before with the uh, university, do you feel like uh, Saudi Arabia is sort of starting to take a turn in, in, you know, in the respect of uh, you know, women's rights and uh, women's position in society, or is it too you know early to say something like that uh th there are efforts to do that and it's, it's a big effort and we have been seeing some changes it's very difficult and it's going to take a very very long time but uh, everybody's optimistic about it hmm. uh, right. and i just checked uh the prize was from the princess youth business international which is run by the Prince of Wales. Okay. Well, look at that. It's uh, it's all positive stories from Turkey. What's happening? Amazing. Are you Amazing. getting? I the, got a the new job, that man. I got a new job. <laughs> <laughs> He's not so now. bitter anymore. <laughs> well, we're all happy about this, Turkey. <laughs> we celebrate your happiness. Um, Kerwin, you're up next. Well, I might have to steal your story a little bit because the Damn biggest it. thing that happened in London, and I know it was important in Paris, was the snow falling over the last week, which has been a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, my little room here looks out over a, a park and some tennis courts, and they've been blanketed with white for the past few days. The the problem is how everything is ground to a halt as a result because the l snow really doesn't fall very often in London and it's not prepared for quite so much. There were reports a couple of months ago that um, England's councils only have enough road salt for six days of snow uh, and it's own, it's, winter has only just started and we've already used up about three days of that. <laughs> so someone's going to be producing a lot of salt and a lot of grit very quickly. Well, um, at least but at, at least you had some uh, salt 
when it started snowing in Paris, it was like a national disaster day. The everything stopped. It was like it did the, it didn't did the metro stop? Well, not the metro, obviously, but uh, the the buses. I uh, people who've been who follow my my Twitter feed might have uh, read this. I couldn't get to work. My, I, I have to take a bus, which goes a little bit uphill. Well, it was completely out for a day and a half because it snowed, what, like two, two inches max? Yeah. yeah. It was super ridiculous. Uh, people made fun of us. And it was, but you know, we're just not used not, to it. You're not to used to it. Yeah. That's what yeah. happens. I mean, we get like, like a foot here and we still drive everywhere. But yeah, it's, it's just that we don't have the infrastructure to deal with it because it just happens every, you know, it, it might snow a couple of days every two years. And we're not going to get the whole infrastructure ready for this just for those two days, obviously. So it was, it was pretty funny. And the, the country did come to a halt. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was the, the whole big thing that happened this month. It, it was like, it snowed. Oh, oh my God! Everyone, run to the hills. Um, so yeah, that was also my big story. But yeah, keep keep going. Uh, Don't run to the hills. There's more snow in the hills. Than in the- <laughs> well, I guess the issue is that around Christmas time, everyone's trying to catch a flight, and people from London are notorious for flying anywhere they want in the world at the drop of the hat. So people would book trips to they book trips to Paris and Brussels on the Eurostar, and those lines would get backed up, or they would book a flight from Heathrow well, or Gatwick airports, and then not only would the airports shut down because of the ice on the runways and the all the airlines would cancel their flights but just the trains and the coaches going to the airports would be so slowed down or would break down that a lot of the people who had flights get to would still be missing out on them so one one thing that uh, did happen in uh, in um, in the Eurostar I, I had a friend who was actually traveling at that time is that the engine was uh too cold on the outside and when it got inside the tunnel uh to go to the to you know uh to the uk the temperature change made the engine fail so the Eurostars were uh stuck inside the tunnel for 15 hours and yes it, what usually takes half an hour to go through the tunnel it was 15 hours and obviously people were very unhappy but that also uh, was a huge story in the past, you know, last week or so. Holy crap. Did they start, like, well, eating each other and setting up a mini-government and all that? Or, I mean, that's Yes, a long that time was the, the, the important part of the story. It was the capitalism that ensued. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, well, you know... the and- issue was... I mean, it was so badly managed by exactly, the company. Yeah. It's not that... I mean, they've had trains get stopped in there before. What thing was what was really strange about this time is that when one train got stopped in there, they kept sending other trains after them. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we're not hearing back from the first one. Let's send another one in, see if it'll <laughs> pop the other one out the other side, maybe. That's uh, what the so, French are good at. I mean, they've had one train stuck in there before, or one train going each way. But five whole trains uh, was was just a complete mystery. It was ridiculous, and it was the people didn't have light, food, or you know anything, and they didn't. They had to get out of the of the train at one point and get into another tra- train that was also stuck, and it yeah. was. That sounds awful, man. I cannot think of anything worse. I I was getting emails from from, uh, my friend who was saying, you know, we've been stuck three hours, five hours, and then I would wake up the next day and I would get another email and he was still stuck. (laughs) 
It's amazing so. that he gets email reception down there. Yeah, though. for some reason, the, the, the mobile phones were working, apparently. Why yeah. do you they do worked that, for a little Patrick? Bit. I'm sorry? Why do you do that? Why do French do that? Just get trains stuck in tunnels. <laughs> uh, because it's our personal pleasure to, uh, you know, watch other people suffer. That's what we like. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would have an attack and have to get out of there. Like I would There's probably a were a few people who oh. did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, my mom was in Paris just the day before. And she took the train to London, and she didn't even know about the trains being stuck the second day. When I told her, she was going crazy. <laughs> yeah, she was lucky. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that was my story, too. Uh, so there you go. It, lo- it, it snowed on Europe. The countries, you know, everything stopped. Uh, and let's go to Scott for the last story of the day. All right, well, I could talk about Charlie Sheen getting arrested again for beating up his wife, or I could talk about, uh, what's her name, uh, Diane, uh, what's her actress name? It's all the rage right now. Anyway, the girl who played... Uh, Brittany Murphy. Uh, Br- yeah, Brittany Murphy. She was, uh, she was on King of the Hill, which is my favorite thing she did. But anyway, I could talk about that, but I don't want to be the obsessed celebrity American guy. <laughs> Aww. I could talk about how I saw Avatar again. That movie's awesome. Um, but instead of doing that, I'll talk about a very, very local story that is kind of holiday-centric. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of if ridiculous. It, if it's but... about you going and helping the needy and making, <laughs> giving them food, uh, the shelters, oh, no. and all of that. We Breaking heard... news! One family in Utah goes to help the homeless! Saves the homeless. More at 11. No, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm going to talk about, it is very local, though. It's a Salt Lake City thing uh, right here where I live. There were five bakeries who decided this year to stand up against the trend in their industry and not discontinue carrying fruitcake as a viable item in their stores. Uh, I know this sounds stupid, but just hear I'm me sorry, out here. what? Uh, yes, it does sound me? very stupid. <laughs> Renee Baker, owner of the Mrs. Baker's Pastry Shop, says she's sticking up for the taunted cake and its poor image. Quote, it's got a bad rap because, well, it's nasty, she says. I've gone to the store and opened up one of these balls, and you could play football with it, and it's nasty. But they're going to keep selling it. They're going to stand by their guns. It's a generational thing. People haven't eaten fruitcake in 10 years, but they're still going to sell the stuff. I admire their moxie for, for sticking it out and keeping the cake on the shelves. And but so, wait, uh, why would they it, stop selling fruitcake in the, in the first place? Because it is gross, dude. Have you ever eaten a fruitcake? It's no, freaking I haven't. Horrible. Maybe that's why. <laughs> Here in the U.S., in the U.S., fruitcake is maligned constantly for being like the worst thing you could ever have or eat. And it's constantly the butt of every Christmas joke every year. It's very, very common to hear lots of jokes about fruitcake, even though I haven't had it in like 20 years. But Um, that's why they call crazy people fruitcakes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't... Wait, I've been hearing, you know, I know the expression, obviously, but I didn't realize that fruitcakes were so belittled in the cake community. What's the matter with fruitcakes? I don't... Maybe I've never seen one, but please describe the the fruitcake's uh, status. Well, first of all, it can take like six hours to bake. It can take days to prepare, especially if you soak like the raisins and brandy or rum like you're supposed to do. And they have all these little chunks of like hardened, disgusting, like flavorless fruit jammed into this super hard sort of cake. And it ends up just being kind of a brick, like a multicolored brick. And back in the old days, very popular. Old people would send it around when they were young. And, you know, in the 30s, it was a great treat to get yourself a brand new fruitcake. This, you know, brand new. But now it's like, dude, 
that is gross. I don't want that ever. And this, wait, these wait, wait, shops wait, wait. have like so, banded together, and now they're still selling it. Wait, is it is a fruitcake like an actual cake, or is it just made of only fruit? No, okay. No, no. Someone, someone in in the chat room. Thank you, Lou. Uh, sent a, a, a link. It's <laughs> it's it's uh, it's exactly what I thought it was. It's a, a cake, which is which has some pieces of fruit in it. Yeah, that's but don't that's but don't fine. let that don't let that <laughs> fool you. Those those pieces of fruit are like chewed up gum taken from the ch bottoms of chairs in public restrooms. I mean, it's bad. <laughs> So does the recipe call for it to, to have this brick-like property? I mean, if they were to reinvent the fruitcake, would it no longer be a fruitcake? Is that the problem well, I, with this tradition? I think on the recipes it actually says at the end, bake until like a brick, and then you know you're good. No, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, th I think there's a problem I mean, with its initial design. It's just got issues. Use fresh fruit, uh, like fluffier cake mix. I don't know. There's, there's, just, no, like, there's a market there, no? I like mean, and these five is, companies Like Copperdome is saying uh, the, the fruit is, is basically candied. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's hardened the, and candied. Yeah, that's right. That's, and it all tastes, it tastes like monkey. It's horrible. Okay. Uh, how do you well, know it you tastes like monkey? monkey now? I really well. would love to know how he knows it tastes like monkey. Look, I, the zoo won't let me back in. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. I think on that note, we are going to bring the show to a close. Uh, and before we do that, I do want to give each one of you an opportunity to talk about what... Oh, wait a second. Do we have a... Uh, And now for something completely different story. Anyone has one? Uh, and that wasn't something completely. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Let's let's make that. Yes, absolutely. You're right. So uh, if you want to uh, hear a little bit more about the hosts on this one wonderful show, uh, you can go to these places. Turkey first. Let us know where we can go to find out well, more about you. You can find me on Twitter and just look for twitter.com/saudi. Slash Saudi. Yep. It's an interesting inter internet thing. Wow, I was going to make fun of you, but then I couldn't speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, if you want to hear exactly how many times a day Turkey goes to uh, uh, Starbucks, you can. Yeah, you, you will know that when I'm entering Starbucks and when I'm going to my cigar lounge every single day. So just keep track of those. <laughs> cigar, you wait, you have a cigar lounge? Yeah. Dude. Yeah, of course. That's epic. <laughs> And it's all Cuban cigars, first class. Wow. He's a, he's a, a cigar expert. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a gum lounge because I don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> And it would be, yeah, okay, no, let's not go there. Yeah, let's um, do that. <laughs> uh, Scott, where can people follow you and see what you're up to if they don't? Um, yeah, a couple places. You want to find out about all my projects, the web comics I do, the illustration work, all the different radio shows I host. Uh, you can go to frogpants.com. Frogpants.com is the home of Frog Pants Studios. Or you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash extra life. And by the way, I choose to. I, I probably already made that joke, but I'm going to do it again. I choose to believe that you named uh, your company after French frogs. Uh, That's you can choose to do that. Patrick's yes. trousers. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have no idea how important my trousers were in our it, uh, it common history. It didn't sound nearly as good to call it Patrick's Trousers Studios. <laughs> All right, let's move on uh, to Kerwin. Don't go there. Don't go there, Scott. Just stay <laughs> where you are. Uh, Kerwin, where can people find out about you? I know that you have a brand new website. 
Yes, I heralded this a couple of months ago when I was last on the show. But So this is a website that I just launched a, a few days ago. So not even Google realizes it's there yet. <laughs> but uh, it is called The Global Urbanist. The website is globalurbanist.com. It is a news aggregator for cities around the developed and developing world. Uh, so this is something I've been building with a couple of people from the program that I've just been studying in London, which is urbanization and development. But if you go to globalurbanist.com, you'll see stories uh, taken from newspapers around the world. For example, there is someone writing in New Delhi about whether India's five largest cities should be made independent of their states. There are stories about bus rapid transit systems in Ahmedabad and Bogota and Quito and places like that. There are news like... Um, the Korean uh, telecommunications company is building a Wi-Fi network across Kigali, the capital of Rwanda. So it'll be the first capital to have a fully integrated Wi-Fi network. Uh, and lots of stories like that. So as I say, I've just only started building this. So uh, it's still the bare bones of a site. But if you're interested in uh, getting inside uh, cities from around the world that you don't normally get in your local media, then log on to this site and as we build an email newsletter and RSS feed, uh, subscribe to those and keep in touch. And I am also welcoming a lot of contributions from anyone who wants to make to send articles or to write articles or to write a blog about the cities that they live in, wherever they are in the world. How can they, do you have all the contact uh, information on the on the site? There is. There's a list of email addresses if you go, if you hit contact us. But if you go to the site, you'll see that the that's kind of divided thematically into six themes, which are planning, governance, economy, communities, environment, international. And it also divides the world into seven regions. Uh, so Europe and Central Asia, Northern America, Southeast Asia, these kinds of divisions. So they can go through and look at the parts of the world that interest them um, and then on contact us if they want to send links or if they want to write articles or write photography, um, even list jobs in the cities that they are, things like that. That's all on the site now. That is so, fantastic. Carwin, can I just send you an article about how crappy Riyadh City's plant? I would love to read it. <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. Uh, but I hey, that's, that, that's my degree. I'm, my degree is in urban planning. Oh, excellent. Well, <laughs> then you can... St well, if you want to write anything you want about the, all those large cities in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, I'd certainly love to... We'll get in touch about that. Oh, sure. see, the Phileas Club is making connections. I'm oh, so yes. glad. Oh, Patrick, you're so nice. <laughs> I noticed that uh, you don't you don't have an advertisement on it, though. Don't you want to make a little bit of money? Uh, there, we'll we'll make money eventually, but as I say, it's only been there a few days. Okay. Uh, we'll see how the traffic builds up before I start flooding it with uh, links for smiley faces and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, so that's it for uh, Kerwin. You don't want to. You you don't want to uh, push your Twitter account. 
You don't care. Well, as I said before, I mean, I've got a Twitter account. It's Kerwin Datu, but uh, I've never tweeted in my life. <laughs> if you want to, f- if you want to follow the uh, the Global Urbanist Twitter account, which might be a little bit more updated, um, then that is simply uh, Global Urbanist. And so there's a we've got an editor in. Um, I think he's in Guangzhou, but he's moving to Shanghai, who is a lot more au fait with Twitter whenever the Great Wall of China uh, allows him to post. So keep in touch with him there. All right. Uh, so again, that's it for uh, Kerwin and for everyone else. And for me, I'm going to inform you that you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash not Patrick, and you can also find this show, the blog, and other shows at frenchspin.com. That's going to be it for us, and we will talk to you all again in a month. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Happy New Year.